Blog Talk Radio.
this is Abayomi Welcome back uh, to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikwe. Today is uh, Sunday, February the 20th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again uh, to another edition of our program. Later on in the program, we'll be bringing you our Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on the Ethiopian government uh, beginning uh, power generation from the Grand Renaissance Dam project. Also, repression against democratic organizers is continuing inside the Republic of Sudan. We'll have details on that as well. A human rights activist has been recognized for his work in the West African state of Burkina Faso. And Africa is moving forward in regard to the production and distribution of COVID-19 vaccines. In the second and third hours, we continue our annual African American History Month commemoration with a tribute to the life, times, and contributions of Malcolm X, Hajj Malik El-Shabazz. These and other features uh, will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program, so stay tuned. Uh, We'll take a musical interlude, and uh, we'll be back uh, later on with more of our program for this week.
tracked the price of commodities in global markets in general, and in Ethiopia in particular. Last year at this period, the price of sugar per metric ton was 350 U.S. dollars, and now it has increased to 550 U.S. dollars in the world market. In addition to the COVID-19 influence, domestic factors including illegal brokers, improper tax imposed on goods and commodities, and the instability in parts of the country have also contributed to the steady rise of prices for goods and services in Ethiopia. Noting the government has been undertaking different measures to address inflation, Hassan indicated that that it has set a policy to allow tax-free importation of consumer goods, uh, big import-export enterprises, have been utilized. Also in Ethiopia, uh, the Ethiopian government officially launched power generation from the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, the GERD project, 11 years after starting its construction. The power production from the hydropower dam was officially launched by Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed earlier this morning. Only one of the 13 turbines of the giant dam for the moment is operating. It generates 375 megawatts according uh, to the official Ethiopian news agency. Uh, The GERD full power capacity is 5,150 megawatts. From now on, there will be nothing that will stop Ethiopia, uh, the Prime Minister Ahmed Abi uh, said uh, during uh, the opening ceremony. In neighboring Sudan, the authorities uh, yesterday arrested Taha Usman, uh, a member of the Suspended Empowerment Removal Committee, the ERC, and leading member of the Forces uh, for Freedom and Change, the FFC. Earlier this morning, the Sudanese authorities arrested several prominent FFC leaders uh, who were part of the ERC and charged them with breach of trust. The detainees are Wagdi Saleh, an ERC member, Khalid Omar Youssef, a former Minister of Cabinet Affairs, and Mohamed El-Faki, a member of the Sovereignty Council and chairman of the committee. Multiple sources confirmed uh, that a joint force of the police, Army, and the General Intelligence Services arrested Usman near the headquarters of the PATH Party on El Gumaria Street in Khartoum. The Committee for the Defense of People Affected by Unlawful Detention and Mass Killing Martyrs issued a statement condemning the unlawful detention of the Sudanese lawyer that he enjoys advocate's immunity, which prohibits his intent, his detention before the need, needed permission. And you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In other news, uh, in the West African state of Burkina Faso, uh, Giallo, Duada Giallo, the threat of death is constant in conflict-ridden Burkina Faso. One of the country's most outspoken human rights defenders, the 39-year-old has documented more than 1,000 extrajudicial killings by security forces and jihadis since the Islamic extremists launched a violent campaign in the country six years ago. And that has earned him many enemies. Uh, We denounce the army, the jihadis, and the local defense fighters, Giallo told uh, the international press. So all armed actors pose a danger for me. Gallo said he's regularly followed, his home being been robbed, and uh, he rarely sleeps in the same place for fear of being killed. Uh, wiping tears from his cheeks, he said it's difficult for him, his wife and his three-year-old daughter. Violence linked to al-Qaeda and the Islamic State group 
has spiked across the once peaceful West African nation. Nearly 5,000 people were killed in 2021 and 2020, about double the number of 2019 and 2018. Efforts to control the violence by the military and other groups have seen a rise in abuses against civilians, according to rights groups. In this difficult situation, Giallo's work to document abuses and protect people's rights in Burkina Faso has been internationally recognized with the Martin Niles Award bestowed each year uh, by a consortium of international rights organizations. And uh, finally, uh, Germany's BioNTech, uh, which together with Pfizer developed the first mRNA vaccine against coronavirus, said uh, just this last past Wednesday, Wednesday it plans to ship mobile vaccine production units to Africa. The question was, can we make the process compact enough to fit in a container? The chief executive and co-founder of BioNTech, Ugar Sahin, told uh, the Associated the uh, Ajan France Press, the French press agency AFP, as the company unveiled the new labs dubbed BioNTainers. BioNTech uh, said it aims to establish the first manufacturing facility in the African Union in mid-2022 and expects to ship the modular production units to Rwanda and or Senegal. Rwandan President Paul Kagame and his Senegalese counterpart, Matthew Saul, attended the Vaccine Equity for Africa meeting at BioNTech MNRA production site in Marlboro, Germany, along with Ghana's President Nana Akufu-Addu and World Health Organization Chief uh, Dr. Tedros Adhadam Ghebreyesus. The modular system opens up new perspectives for global vaccine equity, Sagami said. Tedro said that boosting the local production was essential, particularly as more than 100 countries worldwide had failed to attain the vaccination rate of 70% that the World Health Organization had been targeting for the middle of this year. Africa is the least vaccinated continent in the world. More than two years after the start of the pandemic and more than a year after the rollout of the first coronavirus vaccines, less than 12% of Africans have been fully vaccinated. With that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of the Pan-African Journal. We'd like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, if you'd like to um, have access to today's Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast for Sunday, uh, February 20th, uh, 2022, just go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal, and the programs can be shared with other potential listeners. Just copy and paste the links into emails and send those emails out to other potential listeners. 
You can also copy the links uh, onto other blogs and websites by sharing the link to social media networks such as Facebook and Twitter. This is Abayomi Azikawe. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week. of the New York Times for February 20th, uh, 2022, a full-page ad on her career, her music, and her legacy. And, uh, of course, uh, February is African American History Month, and uh, we are here once again uh, with a tribute to Malcolm X, um, Hajj Malik al-Shabazz, who, in fact, uh, was martyred. 57 years ago tomorrow, and uh, those uh, in the Detroit area and those internationally can listen in uh, to a important webinar 
uh, entitled uh, Critical Race Theory, What It Is and What It Is Not, uh, yours truly will be one of the moderators. And uh, if you want to have more information about this important webinar, in honor of the uh, martyrdom of, Do- of uh, Malcolm X, uh, all you have to do is uh, go to uh, my Facebook page, uh, Abayomi Azikaway, or the Facebook page of the Moratorium Now Coalition. And uh, all you have to do is register uh, for uh, the webinar. It begins at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in the United States. So check it out. Let's listen to a interview uh, with Malcolm X from 1960 uh, during the period uh, when he was uh, a representative of the Nation of Islam. This is recorded, uh, I believe, in New York City. Let's listen in. Let's, uh, let's meet our first guest, Mr. Malcolm X, the leader of the so-called black supremacy movement, the Muslims. And that's spelled M-U-S-L-I-M-S. Yes, sir. And, Mr., I understand that all of the members of the Muslims have the last name of X. That's correct. And why is that? Well, the X actually uh, identifies or distinguishes those of us who are followers of Mr. Elijah Muhammad from those who are not. I see. And it uh, also exits us from the usage and the identification and the connection with the uh, slave names that were given to our people during slavery time by the slave master. I see. And it will stand until, uh, as you know, Mr. Muhammad, our leader and teacher, he received his name from God. And uh, those of us who follow him will receive our names. There will come a time when we will receive our names, just like the Bible says in the last days that God will give uh, the lost sheep or the lost people uh, names out of his own mouth. And we feel that we're living at a day and in a time when those biblical prophecies will reach their fulfillment here in America. Mr. X, I have no, uh, I have no argument with your wanting to call yourself X or Y or Z or anything, and I respect your motives, but Shakespeare said, what's in a name? What difference does it make? Sir, uh, when you say what's in a name, black people here in America who have gone into Mississippi using the name Smith and Jones and Murphy have encountered serious barriers which immediately were eliminated when they used names such as Sharif, Hassan, Bia, and things of that sort. So when Shakespeare said, uh, what's in a name, he probably had never lived in America with a dark skin. They took Arabic names to make the people think they were of Arabic extraction. A good uh, example of that last year was mentioned in Jet, where this uh, so-called Negro from Florida uh, spoke with a French accent in Mississippi and uh, gave himself another name, a foreign name, and was accepted into the veteran hospitals, white veteran hospitals. They took him for an African. Right. Uh, so there's much in a name. And uh, I understand. Yeah. Uh, Mr. X, I said in introducing you earlier that your group has been charged with being anti-white, anti-Semitic, and a kind of black Ku Klux Klan. Now, you've heard that charge before. Yes, sir. And what is your answer to it? It's... Uh, nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, first, when you introduce me as the leader of the black supremacist movement here in Harlem or here in New York, that in itself, too, is incorrect. I'm uh, Mr. Elijah Muhammad's minister to the uh, New York Muslim area, 
and uh, he is the spiritual leader and teacher of all of the Muslims. And in fact, he's the spiritual leader and teacher of the fastest growing group of Muslims in the Western Hemisphere. And here in the New York area, I represent him. I'm his minister. Where does the word Muslim come from? The word Muslim is an Arabic word, which means uh, it comes from the word Islam. Islam is the name of the religion that means yes. complete submission to the will of the divine supreme being. And uh, Muslim means one who has submitted himself to the will of the divine supreme being. Now, what's the difference between a Muslim and a Muslim? Uh, Muslim is only the anglicized pronunciation and spelling of the Arabic word Muslim. I see. Then uh, it is the same it's thing. The same thing. It's like if you were in Georgia, you say, you'd say horse, and in New York, you say horse. I understand. Same thing. Now, where do the charges come from that you are anti-white? I think that comes from people who uh, lack the proper understanding and, have, and who have uh, failed to do research. I think that some people who are bigoted and narrow-minded create the phrase and others just follow suit by parroting without actually looking into what Mr. Muhammad is teaching and what he is doing. Uh, if you recall, and I think this is the best answer, when uh, T Time Magazine uh, wrote an article in July or August of 59, uh, in which they uh, uh, said that Mr. Muhammad had successfully eliminated from among his followers the use of alcohol, the use of dope, the use of, uh, of uh, profanity, uh, adultery, and things of that sort. But then at the same time, they turned around and accused him of teaching black supremacy. Now, mind you, they, they, they credited him, without realizing it, with reforming the morals of the so-called Negroes. And then in the next breath, they accused him of black supremacy. In the same article, they pointed out that the police chiefs in uh, Los Angeles and across the country marveled at the degree of, uh, of uh, discipline and obedience and respect for the law right. that existed among his followers. And at the same time, they said that this is what worries the police department. Why, that's absurd. And uh, I think that uh, his teaching, Mr. Muhammad's teaching, gives such dignity. It puts such a, a sincere and strong dignity in those uh, black people who listen to his teaching and accept his teaching that uh, they, give, they, have, uh, they have had that inferiority uh, complex and attitude for so long that when they change it's so noticeable that people who don't understand, they, they associate it with an air of supremacy. But I think that's other than true. Malcolm X, the Chicago American, on February 22nd, said that your leader, Elijah Muhammad, wants to unite the darker races in exterminating the white race. I think, sir, that uh, the same, and this is uh, the same writer who wrote that, didn't even take the time during the convention. We had a convention three days at that time. That writer didn't take the time uh, to come to the convention and listen for himself what Mr. Muhammad uh, uh, is teaching or what he stated his aims were. I think had he done so, that he would have written that article other than the way he did. Do you or your organization receive funds from the United Arab Republic? Uh, that's another thing that's, that could not be farther from the truth. We, we receive funds from no one, no outside government other than right here. We receive funds from ourselves. All of the finance, all of our projects are financed by so-called Negroes here in America who you, believe in Mr. Muhammad's program. You keep saying so-called Negro, Mr. X. What do you mean by that? Yes, sir. I'm glad you asked me that, too, because uh, 
When, when you ask a person his nationality and he says German, it, it identifies him with a nation called German, Germany. Right. If you ask him his nationality and he says French, it identifies him with a nation called France. If he says right. English, it identifies him with a nation called England. Right. Now, if you ask him his nationality and he says Negro, what has it identified him with? Only the color of his skin. But, no, uh, Negro is a Spanish word, not an English word. And the, the, here in the, present, in, the, in the school curriculum in this country, they have taught us uh, that black is something derogatory, so most Negroes take offense when referred to as black. But except, same, in, except in Africa. But understand. But at the same time, they say that the word Negro means black in Spanish. Uh, and they say that if, if Negro means black in Spanish, then all of the black Spanish-speaking people in South and Central America would also be called Negroes. And if you call a Puerto Rican or a Cuban or a Mexican or somebody who is black a Negro, he takes offense. A Spanish-speaking black person will not accept the term Negro. Well, I, I agree with you, Mr. X. The fact is that many people who make the same mistake about Negroes will speak of nationality and say that so-and-so is a Jew. That's a faith, not a nationality. Negro is not a faith. No, Negro is the color of a skin. A man, when you say that you resent or Negroes resent the word black, I've had Tom and Boya here on a couple of occasions, and he tells me that in Africa, the word black is applied by them to themselves. Yes. There are the blacks or the Africans. But not Negro. No. Negro mm. carries with it a stigma. Well, only because of the unfortunate propaganda through the years. But this doesn't mean that it should. Sir, Negro is a word that was made up for us, not by uh, we ourselves, but by our slave master during slavery time. Now, uh, people of India, you have people in India who are darker than people in Africa. Yes. They're not called Negroes. You just can't, uh, you can't, if you, when you trace it down or try and use uh, well, What would you call yourself? A black right? man. My, I refer to myself as a black man, despite complexion. Uh, I, I should tell the radio audience that you're very fair. Very uh, light. Yes. And, uh, uh, but, see, just, just like... Wouldn't colored be a more applicable word? No, sir. Uh, colored to us means that which has been changed from what it originally was. Mm. Uh, those of us today who, are, who have been taught by Mr. Muhammad, we accept the term black. We refer to ourselves as black despite complexion, and this gives us unity. As long as you have a group of people like the Negroes, different complexions, uh, uh, and, they are, uh, and they lay stress upon their complexion, that creates a division. And what we need, since we have been, since one of our characteristic uh, uh, qualities is our disunity, uh, we as so-called Negroes in America don't need any terms that tend to lend to that disunity. We need to be united instead of disunited. Malcolm X, uh, why is it that Roy Wilkins of the NAACP and Thurgood Marshall, their counsel, are so opposed to your movement? Are they not hard-working individuals? for equality and desegregation? Sir, I don't think that uh, Mr. Wilkins and Mr. Marshall are actually opposed to Mr. Muhammad's movement because Mr. Muhammad's movement is actually doing what they are advocating, the betterment of our people. Uh, 
Mr. Uh, many people have put words in Mr. Wilkins' mouth and have put words in Mr. Marshall's mouth. But I don't think that men of that standing and of that caliber and with that intelligence would cast opinions about a group such as ours well, without coming to us or coming among us and studying us Mr. firsthand themselves. Mr. X, I must tell you that Thurgood Marshall has been here on a many occasions, and he has stated to me that he is opposed to your group. Now, he's a learned and informed man, and he's told me this is not, a, not something that I've heard. I think you'll find, sir that many Negroes who reached... I wish you'd stop calling me sir. I was just a corporal. Well, uh, sir, uh, we... One of the things Mr. Muhammad teaches us is to respect everyone. And I well, do it... You call I, me Barry. I think that's enough respect. Well, yes, sir. I'll call you uh, Barry. Much better than, hey, you. I've been called that. <laughs> but what you will find that one of the things characteristic, too, about Mr. Muhammad's followers is courtesy is a part of our religion. And I respect it. And uh, it's, hard, it's difficult for us to separate ourselves from our religious teachings. May I say, as a former G.I., that there are ways of saying sir and other ways of saying sir, and sometimes it doesn't sound very respectful. Oh, well, I understand. <laughs> Let me pause here and tell you that I'm talking with Mr. Malcolm X, the leader of the movement of the Muslims, or Muslims. He returned to my guest. My guest is Malcolm X, the leader, or associate leader, I guess you'd call it, of the movement called the Muslims. Mr. X, you've, uh, you've denied here that your group is anti-white, anti-Semitic, and in some cases anti-Negro. Uh, a colleague of mine and an old friend, Mike Wallace, last summer showed some films of your local rally. And he charged then that you have a stormtrooper-type operation and that your leader, Elijah Muhammad, has a bodyguard of the elite troop character. Is that so? I wouldn't say that we have a storm. <coughs> Before you go to that, so you asked me about Thurgood Marshall and uh, Wilkins. I would like yes. to make a comment. Go ahead. Uh, uh, number one, it hurts me to, if they said what they did, which I've never heard it, but it hurts me whenever any uh, so-called Negroes like that speak out against uh, us because we think that uh, black people have enough enemies today uh, fighting uh, to make the mistake of fighting each other, fighting among themselves and fighting each other. And I'm very reluctant to make any statement against any so-called Negro today who even professes to be fighting the battle for justice for the so-called Negroes. If they want to attack us, they're free to do so. But we find that we have our hands full enough fighting for justice for the so-called Negro to, to, to spend time fighting Mr. Uh, uh, Marshall and Mr. Wilkins. Well, I understand that, but on the other hand, in a democratic society, Mr. X, no one expects all Negroes or all anything to agree. But you've got a new Negro on the scene today, sir, who's fast rising, who's rising up faster than I think even Mr. Wilkins and Mr. Marshall are right. aware of. And uh, I said a new Negro. When I say a new Negro, a new collective Negro. Yes. Whereas in the past, Negroes were reluctant to stick together on certain issues, and they were reluctant to uh, exhibit uh, action other than passive. Today, they'll try it passive if passive will work, and if passive doesn't work, they'll, they resort to what will work. What, what, what do you mean by what will work? Uh, Does that mean violence? No, sir. Uh, because I would not want you to think that the uh, followers of Mr. Muhammad are people of violence. But when you stop to think, sir, 
Uh, who does Mr. Wilkins speak for? Who does Mr. Thurgood Marshall speak for? If, if Roy Wilkins and Thurgood Marshall combined com, uh, advertised the fact that they were going to give a lecture or a speech Saturday afternoon on 125th Street and, uh, and 7th Avenue in Harlem, they probably would be lucky to get a 1,000 people. If you advertised the fact that Mr. Muhammad was going to speak at that same place, you couldn't get within four blocks of the place. This is fact. Now, well, uh, Mr. Mr. X, to use your... Your very analogy. I'm sure that if Hitler was around, he'd draw a pretty big crowd, too. Uh, I'm surprised that a man of your intelligence and experience would uh, use uh, the name Hitler in the same breath. No, but you've told uh, me about the crowd. Sometimes, you know, the public is not always right. Well, then who speaks for who? This is the thing. If Roy Wilkins is the well, spokesman... I assume, I assume that Roy Wilkins and, and uh, Thurgood Marshall speak for all of the paid-up members or contributors of the NAACP. Now, I don't know what that number amounts to. Yes, sir. But people that contribute to an organization obviously believe in it, yes. and they represent these people. I don't think Roy Wilkins ever said that he speaks for all the Negroes of the United States, and I know Thurgood Marshall not only professionally but personally. And I'm sure that Thurgood Marshall doesn't believe that he speaks for all of the Negroes because there are some Negroes he has very little use for. And he wouldn't want to speak for them. Well, there are no Negroes that we don't have any use for. We love all of them. But you're putting them in the same category, if I may say, as the racists, uh, racists on the other side put the Negro. You're making all Negroes good Negroes and all whites bad whites. We think, sir, that the bad qualities and bad characteristics that you might detect uh, in the so-called Negroes today are uh, due to sociological conditions under which they uh, live, uh, for uh, the, which we feel they are not responsible for. They, uh, most of the faults that you find, faults of drunkenness, fa uh, faults of dope addiction, and things of that sort, uh, we don't feel that the Negro in America, is, having undergone 310 years of slavery, during which time he was uh, stripped completely of his culture and anything that would give him dignity or uh, racial cohesiveness to the point where he would want to stand up only under extreme circumstances. We just don't hold him responsible for, for that. Um, these who have had an opportunity... You're not going to excuse it. We're not excusing it in this day and time, but we don't hold him responsible. The, the, the you are then saying, if I understand you correctly, that all Negroes who are involved in uh, narcotics traffic, addiction, drunkenness, whatever, these people are to be excused? No, sir. But I am saying that I think that the white man who is familiar with the history of the Negro in America, when he sees the faults that the Negro displays today here in America, the white man himself should be very slow to criticize or condemn that Negro I, for, I, his, for his condition. Mr. X, I neither criticize nor condemn. I'm trying to, trying to get a story, except I'd hate to think that we're going to uh, present the, uh, the uh, satire of a poor, downtrodden individual who's just crooked because he never had a chance. Because some of our finest citizens in this community, Negro and white, have come out of those poor, downtrodden conditions. Principle and... Uh, and the fiber of character are very strong things. They overcome a great many setbacks. And I'm not going to tell you that e the Negroes have had an easy row to hoe. They've had a very tough row. 
But isn't it strange that out of that very background have come some of your most remarkable people? Yes, sir. And and there are those few <clears throat> we don't uh, clap our hands and say hooray over the few. We're thinking of the masses. Oh, I think there are many more who, than a few. Who are yet in that downtrodden condition. I agree. But, Mr. X, we're getting far away from the subject. What about your the elite bodyguard and the stormtrooper-type operation that... Mike Wallace showed on film last year. I think that uh, Mike Wallace showed, I don't think he showed anything that you could call Stormtrooper, but he probably uh, showed something that could be classified as elite in the sense that uh, the followers of Mr. Muhammad are taught uh, discipline and courtesy and, and uh, uh, hygiene, physical hygiene, uh, mental hygiene, spiritual hygiene to the point where uh, they are very uh, easy to distinguish between others. Uh, Mr. X, you've just told me about the great mental hygiene of your leader. Is it true that he was in prison in the federal penitentiary for three years, beginning in 1943, for subversive activity? He was in prison for refusing to go to the army, for refusing to fight. He He's a Muslim. He teaches the religion of peace, and he was sent to prison for refusing to go to the war. That was why he was sent to prison. I am given to understand that it's because he aligned himself with the Black Dragon Society of Japan. That's absurd. If he had aligned himself with the Black Dragon Society of, J of Japan, sir, well, br bring in your Federal Bureau of Investigation and ask them. Well, Mr. Mr. X, a man does not go to prison under our society if he can prove that he is a legitimate conscientious objector. We had many such uh, during the war. Sir, I think you'll find that prisons were filled with conscientious objectors. We have brothers right at this moment who are serving prison sentences for conscientious, well, uh, being conscientious objectors. Because possibly that their, their background did not show a legitimate reason. They became conscientious objectors for the purposes of the draft. I don't quite understand. Well, let me give you a very well-known example. There was a man named Lou Ayers, yes. who is a Quaker. And Mr. Ayers, known as a Quaker and a very religious man, would not bear arms. So he became a member of an ambulance unit. And he did not bear arms. He was a conscientious objector. The medical corps was filled with hundreds of men who would not bear arms but worked as laboratory technicians and the rest. But those who suddenly became conscientious objectors on the day that the draft called them were put in prison because there was no record of their ever having been a member of a religious group or sect that would uh, prove this point. Yes, well, I think you'll find, sir, that uh, uh, nearly a hundred of Mr. Muhammad's followers went to prison along with him for refusing uh, to go to the army. And by refusing to go to the army, they absolutely didn't even register. They had no part of the war whatsoever, but it wasn't in line with Japan or because of what Japan was doing. Let me quote to you from the Chicago American. It says here that in 1942, the Chicago Herald American, this newspaper's predecessor, exposed a fifth-column plot designed to unite the world's dark-skinned people under Japan and exterminate the white race. Elijah Muhammad alias Elijah Poole, alias Elijah Mahmoud, was accused by the FBI of being one of the leaders in this fantastic plot. When the FBI tracked him to his mother's home in Chicago, 
They found him rolled up in a carpet under her feet. Sir, I think oh, you will find... Well, yes, okay. This is the FBI. You said you wanted the FBI quote. Leaders of the sect were charged with violating the Federal Espionage Act. Conviction under that law carried a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison and a $10,000 fine for each offense. The FBI said the subversive groups numbering 100,000 persons throughout the United States had been organizing for more than 10 years under the Japanese Black Dragon Society. A four-month undercover investigation by the Herald American brought to light the activities of these groups, and these findings were turned over to federal authorities. When questioned by Assistant U.S. Attorneys William J. Connor, John Keeley, and Leroy Krein, all the leaders denied they were citizens of the United States, all asserted they were born in West Asia, that they were Asiatics and Muslims and not subject to American laws. Records, however, showed they were all born in this country, and Mohammed and one other were arranged on sedition charges and held in bond after the U.S. Commissioner said these men were leaders in this dangerous, subversive plot. It was at their behest that many of the others evaded the draft. They also advocated direct alliance with this nation's enemy, Japan. Sir, I completely uh, disagree. And uh, that I read that in the Chicago paper when I was out there last week. If Mr. Muhammad and his followers were arrested for that, were they convicted for that? Well, they went to jail for no, three years. That's no, good sign. Sir, no. They went to jail for refusing to register for the draft, but they were not convicted of any kind of espion espionage. Mr. And, sir, today they aren't on the uh, Attorney General's subversive list, and if they said they weren't citizens, the United States Senate right now is putting on a filibuster in Washington, D.C. to prove that the black man here is not a citizen. Yes, but I don't accept that. Do you? Oh, uh, you are an individual, the, sir. The federal law of this country states that anyone naturally born in the United States is a citizen of this country, whether he be of the black race, the yellow race, or the white race. And as a matter of fact, the, the Japanese in California had the same difficulty for a very long time. But anyone born in this country, naturally born, is an automatic citizen, and it can never be denied. Do they deny these uh, Japanese and white people civil rights? You see, civil rights makes a man a citizen. You're in, you've got an argument in Washington right now uh, that revolves around civil rights, which yes. is supposed to make Negroes citizens. No, it, it, they, it's sir, supposed to give them voting privileges. It does not have anything to do a with citizen citizen. has voting privileges. I know. And we, if he doesn't have voting privileges, he's not a citizen. Well, he has voting privileges in the South if he pays his poll tax, and I'm against that. But understand, sir, and I think that you're intelligent enough to see that any time you have to uh, make new bills or pass new bills to make uh, uh, to give voting privileges or voting rights to approximately 20 million black people, then you just can't call those people citizens. Well, let's go back to your leader. According to the Chicago newspaper, at a meeting September the 13th, 1942, this same Elijah Muhammad told his followers, and this is a direct quote, the red background of the flag of Islam represents the sun. The crescent and star represent the moon and the planets. The other flag you see there, the stars and stripes, is the symbol of the white devils. There is only one flag for us, and that is the flag of Islam. See how it compares with the Japanese flag of the rising sun. The reason for the likeness is that the Japanese are our brothers. They're the only ones who can give us justice, freedom, and equality. 
And at a meeting of one of the subversive groups, one of the leaders exhibited a movie showing the Japanese version of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and the followers cheered loudly. Speakers at some of the meetings uncovered by patriotic Negro organizations made statements as, Our prayers were answered with the bombings of Pearl Harbor. God bless Hitler. Tojo will save American Negroes from the white yoke. Great Japanese victories leave fewer victims for us. And on March 5, 1935, 200 members of the group rioted in the Chicago courtroom of Municipal Judge Edward S. Scheffler. Uh, sir, I'm surprised that you would take a newspaper, uh, which you could, pardon me, Go ahead. which you can get one printed in Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, and Chicago. There's no exception. This is a newspaper with millions of dollars of assets, Mr. X. The, the, you and have, if you wanted to sue them, it's very simple. No, you have papers in Mississippi that have million dollars worth of assets. The assets are of no consequence whatsoever. Oh, you, have to, you can sue concerning them Concerning the flag, the sun, moon, and star, the Shriners, which is one of the top orders of the Masonic, they use the crescent. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, I have no uh, objection to your flag, uh, and particularly the flag of Islam. I do have objection to the speeches that this man has made, and incidentally the stupidity of the statement that God bless Hitler, because I seem to recall Hitler and a man named Jesse Owen. Yes, I understand. The, if you will take that paper, which you've never seen until it was put in front of you, Oh, I saw it earlier today. And uh, I reached the conclusion that the man said it without doing some investigation for yourself. You're overlooking the fact that Mr. Muhammad has united and reformed and is reforming more Negroes than any other black man in America. You're right. overlooking the fact that uh, uh, he's creating love and brotherhood among his people that didn't exist before. You're overlooking the fact that he's making law-abiding citizens out of black people who had no regard or respect for law before. You're overlooking all of these positive qualities. Well, not only... And not pulling only. out something, sir, that was planted in a newspaper well, 20 years ago. No, no, this is from... This is the issue of February 22, 1960. What you're quoting, sir, was written 20 years ago. What you're quoting was written 20 years ago. It came out in the paper in Chicago last week to try and keep the make the Negroes in Chicago afraid any time you can find a black man. Mr. X. Yes, sir. There's one so-called black man. I don't use the term, but there is a black man named Lestra Brownlee. Yes. And he writes a column. Yes. In which he says that your organization has great similarities with Hitlerism. He says both have made a strong appeal to the frustrated, pointing up injustices. Both use hatred to pit one group against another. Both spread the quasi-religious doctrine of racial superiority. Both attack Christianity and democracy as incompetent to solve problems. Both use the approach of a demagogue. Both demand fierce loyalty of followers. Both started inside the framework of the law. Both indoctrinated youth. Both built an elite guard. Both allied their causes which other, with other nations which had similar doctrines. In Muhammad's case, with the rising tide of nationalism in Africa today. Now, that's a Negro writer who uh, wrote that. You're right. He's a Negro writer, sir. And the thing that surprises me about what you're saying, you're overlooking the fact that Mr. Muhammad just finished a tour of the Muslim world, the Muslim countries of Africa and Asia, uh, at which time he was uh, warmly received at the holy city of Mecca and Medina in Arabia. And you cannot call a Muslim who enters uh, Mecca a pseudo-Muslim or a member of a quasi-religion. Uh, and also, sir, I think you'll find 
that uh, if you think that Mr. Muhammad is anti-white, you cannot, uh, no white person can come around any group of black people and get more respect than they will get when they come amongst the followers of Mr. Elijah Muhammad. I think one thing that the white man should know is this. There's a new Negro. There's a new thinking going on among Negroes. And it's the uh, misinformation that's being given to the white man by the leaders he himself has put up there to keep him informed that makes him not aware today of the, of the dissatisfaction and the degree of it and the intensity of it that's existing among the Negroes. And because Mr. Muhammad comes along and expresses it openly and frankly so that you will understand, instead of listening to what he's saying and taking that as a warning, you are making the mistake of condemning the man as a hate teacher. A warning of what, Mr. Uh, X? Sir, you reap what you sow. As you reap, well, as you sow, so shall you well, reap. Well, let me put it this way. There are 170 million people in the United States, and I venture to say that the overwhelming number of them are very much for civil rights, because the South is certainly a minority group of our total population. Would you say that all of the white people should reap as they sow? Sir, if the overwhelming number of white people in America are for civil rights, why do you have such a difficult time getting a civil rights bill passed? Because of our, the makeup of our political chamber. Sir, if the number in America of whites for civil rights was overwhelming, there is no combination of schemes that Southern senators could concoct to get that bill from being passed. Well, you have President to... Eisenhower himself has just made a tour of Africa, Asia, and South America, and he has not said one word yet against the uh, atrocities that are being committed uh, against black people here in America. Well, you wouldn't expect the president to go abroad and make that kind of a speech, would he you? He hasn't made a speech such as that in Washington, sir. I wouldn't expect well, him to I'm, make it abroad. I happen to be of democratic persuasion, so please don't ask me to defend the president this week. Yes, sir. Uh, how about Hubert Humphrey? Hubert Humphrey is one man. Yes. If President Eisenhower is the president, he has he has influence enough to speak out on any kind of situation. Well, I agree with that, but what about Hubert Humphrey? And what about the great and Hubert decent Humphrey, what sir, about, is not the president. What about the great, well, he may be Hubert president. Hubert Humphrey doesn't represent the United States of America as such. Eisenhower represents the thinking of the United States, well, the program, I the have principles no, I have no of the United States. And if have, he doesn't speak out against these atrocities, then who will? Mr. X, let me ask you this. Aren't you building in your way, a black supremacy group, just like the Ku Klux Klan has built a white supremacy group? What's I, the difference? Sir, I think that as a white man, you yourself should uh, use or exercise caution in referring to any black group in America in the same breath with the Ku Klux Klan. The Ku Klux Klan was set up and designed to uphold white supremacy, rightly or wrongly, yet that's what their program is. Now then, uh, we uh, represent a group that has been oppressed by whites for 400 years. There is a white, the white man cannot deny that we were kidnapped and brought here. 
He can't deny that we were stripped of our culture, stripped of our language, stripped of our flag, stripped of our identity, and then robbed of 310 years of free labor. He can't deny that. Now, any group today that voices resentment and speaks it openly and frankly, the white man, since his hands are so blood-soaked, he should feel guilty. He shouldn't feel vindictive. He shouldn't say, why, this man is a hate monger. Instead, he should go and talk to that man and say, well, now, listen, we are guilty of this. What can we do to right things? What can we do to correct things? And especially in light of the fact that the senators will stand up on the, on the floor of the Senate and say some of the most outrageous things about the black man in America, and not one time on your program even, sir, would you accuse uh, 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 McClellan, who received an award recently. Oh, you haven't, you haven't heard this broadcast. I listen to you. I admire Senator your outspokenness. Senator McClellan has had a couple of lumps on this microphone, and so have all the southern senators. You'd be surprised how many white people agree with Mr. Muhammad, and, right, and I mean intelligent white people That's who fair. are not what you call bigots, but who are open-minded, both Democrats, Republicans, and otherwise. Well, if and that's the case, then I suggest you, you form a political party and run candidates. And, and so I would like to say, if you allow me, that uh, uh, one of the things that has caused so much unrest, and it's going to cause worse unrest, is this integration thing uh, that uh, they're trying to put across, and which the masses of... Mr. X, I'm terribly sorry. We have to break for the midnight news on Radio WMCA, and we'll be right back. And now my guest again, Malcolm X. And Mr. X, we've spent almost an hour talking, and I have other guests, so I would like to ask you to provide some uh, wind-up comment, if you will, about your movement. Yes, sir, I think, sir, and I really appreciate your uh, allowing me to say these things, because I think that if the white man had a better understanding of what Mr. Muhammad is actually teaching and doing, that there would be no disagreement between him and us. But, Mr. X, the, fe the federal government obviously knows what he's doing. I think, sir, that you will not find us on any government subversive list. No, no, no. No, I'm talking about his jail term. Uh, uh, you will find also, sir, that I don't think it's a disgrace for any man to have gone to prison for, uh, because he felt that fighting was other than religious. And I think also, sir, uh, you will find... And, and if you think that, uh, that Mr. Muhammad is not expressing the views of many, many, many masses of Negroes, I would advise those who listen to this to write in to you and let you know how they feel. Right. And I think that it would be a better representative. You probably would be more receptive to what your audience had to say than what I say. Mr. I X, I, you tell me that you've listened to this broadcast a great many times. We had a lot of people in this country that thought Mc McCarthy was a, a kind of a... Uh, uh, an elevated political figure, and they wrote to me too. You know why I think that uh, most people misunderstand? They don't realize the religious, the actual uh, uh, essence of the, our religious uh, interpretation. Uh, we, when, when we look at Mr. Muhammad, we look at, at him as Moses. We look at uh, the Bible. I can't recall the Bible saying anything about Moses having an elite troop of guards. I think you'll find, sir, that Moses was a person who came to separate his people from the slave master. Moses didn't advocate integration. Moses advocated separation. Did they march? Uh, Moses, Moses was a man who appeared to slaves, and his mission was to separate those slaves from their slave master so God could destroy 
the slave master. And we feel that those Bible stories, sir, are only symbols that paint prophetic pictures of the day and time that we're living in right now. I cannot recall any word of Moses in the, in the Old uh, Testament professing anything of hatred. Uh, and, and, all doubt, I've, and all I've read here, according to these newspaper reports, which if they are untrue, you have every right to sue for enormous sums of money, all I've read here are uh, speeches of hatred made by your leader. Sir, I think you can read the congressional record in the morning and find some speeches that are more hate-filled uh, being delivered by the senators from the floor of the United are, States Senate. We are not talking uh, about the senators. And while I'm on the subject of the Old Testament, I would remind you that it was Moses who fled from the Muslims his slave masters. No, sir. I think you'll find that uh, in those days, Moses uh, was... Uh, in first, number one, we don't even uh, look at the uh, thing as literal, but a symbolic story referring to today, that this is the story of the house of bondage represents America, the Hebrew children represent the so-called Negroes, Moses in that day represents Mr. Muhammad here in America today to us. And uh, we feel that that is a warning just as Moses' job was to warn the slave master that it was time for God oh. to, to bless his people, Mr. Muhammad's job here in America today is to warn the white man, not condemn him, but warn him. Warn him uh, of what? Warn him that as you sow, so shall the you reap. The word warn has an ominous sound. You mean that for every Negro that's been lynched, a white person will be lynched? Uh, I think you'll find, sir, that the law of justice is, and God is a just God. If God visited the slave master in Egypt uh, for what, it, what he did to the slaves, and he visited the slave master in Babylon for what he did to the slaves, if you look at that and see how God worked in the past and you don't think it's going to work the same way today, then I think that it's, it's foolhardy. I am simply on the record against anyone who preaches hatred, sir, and I believe that your leader preaches hatred. I don't think you really feel I, that, sir. I do believe I, it. I really don't. I don't believe in black supremacy anymore than I believe in white supremacy. I don't believe in supremacy of anything except the Almighty. And uh, I, I get very nervous about people who stand around and try to build us up so we're ready to march. Sir, God is considered supreme because he was first and will be last. His people are also consider considered supreme because just as he was first and will be last, they were first and will be last. That which is first and last is supreme. I was neither first nor do I expect to be last. I thank you for coming. I here. thank you, uh, Mr. Gray. Ladies and gentlemen, Malcolm X of the so-called, it's been described as such, the black supremacy movement, the Muslims, their leader, Elijah Muhammad. We've been spending, we've spent more than an hour on this discussion. We have uh, many guests. Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, Malcolm X being interviewed uh, over WMCA in New York City in 1960. And uh, we'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our tribute to uh, African American History Month. Uh, we're focusing on the lifetimes and contributions of Malcolm X.
you listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast, this special edition of our program for Sunday, February 20th, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We just heard the voice of Phyllis Hyman with a song entitled Prime of My Life. And uh, we're going to go back uh, to Malcolm X. This is from 1962, uh, in late April 1962, uh, the Los Angeles Mosque uh, Number 7 uh, was attacked uh, by the Los Angeles Police Department. Secretary of the Mosque, uh, Ronald Stokes, was shot to death uh, by the LAPD. Uh, Malcolm X immediately uh, went to Los Angeles uh, to mount a defense uh, against uh, the attacks and the false claims uh, being published in the uh, corporate uh, media in Los Angeles. He was out to build a united front among all the African-American organizations uh, in Los Angeles. This is uh, taken from a press conference um, given by Malcolm X uh, during that time period, late April and May of 1962. Uh, Let's listen in. Took six days to look into it. Yes, yes, I was sent out. Uh, I did come. I came, and the, yes, the Negro press did. The Negro, the Negro press came to us and asked us our story. The Negro press came to us and asked us what took place. Yes, sir. The Negro, listen, ma'am. The Negro press, the uh, Sentinel, the Eagle, the Herald Dispatch, Jet, all the Negro press, and not only them, across the country, New York, Amsterdam News, Philadelphia Tribune, all of the Negro papers asked us. Uh, what happened. And I and what made me feel so good, and it makes me even feel more good to see uh, Brother Roy Wilkins telegram, that there's not a Negro in America who was gullible enough to eat the story that Chief Parker fed to the uh, wire services. Yes, sir. I don't know. Sir? I don't think, well, I, I, I don't know if I would be wise to say what I think along that line, but uh, I, I don't think it was calculated to happen right then because there was so much ignorance involved. So many ignorant moves were made by the police. It's impossible for me to believe that the police could have planned that thing. They made too many mistakes. They actually, they, they were very foolish in practically everything that they did. I'm inclined to believe that one of them did say this. When they were shooting up, they shot around inside the inside the mosque, so much so that, you, that we found bullets laying on the floor inside a religious house of prayer. If someone throws a, a, a glass through the window of a synagogue or through the window of a church, they, everybody's up in arm all over the world. Here is the police department shooting up a house of prayer. Indiscriminately. We have, they, and they didn't have any doubt about where they were because the sign in there says that this is authorized as a house of worship by the, by the, uh, uh, the Los Angeles uh, and it says conforms with all of the Los Angeles uh, municipal codes. They were left lying on the street for some time, and they were handcuffed. They were handcuffed. They were handcuffed and bleeding. It arrived very late. It, they were. It, they'd arrived very late. As I told you earlier, even the policeman said, "Why should the ambulance hurry? There's nothing but niggers out there." Why, if some of you heard, if some of you could hear or were aware 
of the conversation that uh, the police engaged in concerning this event, I don't care how much anti-Muslim you might be, your own humane quality would make you resent with shame and uh, the their disgraceful behavior. At this particular point, at this particular point, it's not our intention to divulge what we intend to do. But I will say this, that no matter how much effort is put forth by the daily press to suppress the facts of the brutal murder of this black man and the cold-blooded shooting of these other six black men, the uh, press in Africa won't camouflage it. The press in Asia won't camouflage it. The press in Latin America won't camouflage it. These facts will be fed to them. And it, and it makes America look like an uh, 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 imbecile to send billions of dollars to all of these dark countries trying to buy their friendship and their sympathy and their allegiance and then shoot down black men in this country in cold blood and think that they can sell their form of the democracy or ideology to those people over there. I'll ask my lawyer. How do you count for the injuries sustained by the officers? What is the one we've got? Sir, if I'm, you, you, use your, your common sense. Uh, I don't like to go into the intricate details, but here's one witness. One witness tells us how that uh, the cop had shot a brother point blank through his groin and through his penis. Shot him in the gut like this. So the brother grabbed the gun to keep from uh, uh, being shot again. He was wrestling, trying to keep that gun from pointing at him, and someone hit him in his head. And when they hit him in his head, the cop took it and blasted him right through here. It's easy for me to tell how a cop got, could, could have gotten shot. They could have shot each other. They went mad that night. They were wild that night. They were like maniacs that night. I don't think it's so much the work of the Ku Klux Klan, but they do say that there is a strong uh, Klan-like element in Southern California. And a Klan don't have to put on a white sheet, not in 1962. Today they can put on business suits, police uniforms, lawyers' uniforms. They come all kinds of ways, but they're just as much Klansmen today as they were uh, 30 years ago. I don't think that... no matter whom it is practiced against. Sir? What would your penalty be if one of your uh, uh, members of your lot went astray of your rules? What would your penalty be? He couldn't stay with us. All, if any, any, Has ever happened? Yes. Any Muslim who can't abide by the laws of Islam cannot walk with us. No, no, one didn't have a weapon. And you, you can get a microscope, sir. I, I know that a weapon must be found to, in some way, justify the atrocity that was committed. They must find a weapon. They can't find a weapon. It's like not with a Muslim. We, uh, it, uh, uh, a Muslim isn't even allowed to have a, a, a weapon in his home, much less upon his person.
Well, if you are twisting someone's arm, you're the one that attacks. I said, well, the, the, when, as I said, our religion teaches us to always obey the law, religiously. I'm going to tell you, our religion teaches us to always obey the law, above all, first and above all. But at the same time, anyone who attacks us, we are allowed to defend ourselves. To my knowledge, the policeman, in his questioning of the brother, refused to accept the brother's answer. He wanted the brother to be a burglar. He wanted him to be a burglar. And because he had no evidence that the man was a burglar, he wanted the brother to be impolite. But because the brother was polite to the extreme, it infuriated him. And he grabbed him and began to twist his arm. And, sir... No, they weren't. No. I think that these intricate details will be brought out in the investigation. No, no. There were two brothers and two officers. Uh, this uh, Negro special cop that I was telling you about, he... Yeah, he drove by and fired shots, and naturally everybody came out. And a lot of people running, weren't he? A lot of the people that you thought were Muslims probably weren't even Muslims. When you get excited, everybody looks like a Muslim to you. <laughs> no, a, a, a Muslim doesn't carry a gun. So when he, when the, I'll tell you, when this, uh, when he started shooting, the alarm went out, as I said. And uh, and from as the papers give it, seventy-five came, but they didn't come to where the incident took place. They came to the temple. He was at the temple. Yeah, he didn't even know what had happened down the street. All he heard was gunshots. No, sir. When he heard gunshots, he asked his wife, who had his little baby, to please go in the back someplace. There's trouble outside. And he went up and made a telephone call. And when he came downstairs, then the this is when the general alarm cops had, ar had arrived. And they arrived, as I said, with their guns blazing. Yes, very important, yes. Uh, when uh, when uh, if the, the police in America have a special riot tactic, which you're probably familiar with, whenever there's trouble, they pull up to the scene and firing up in the air. That's one of the tactics. This is supposed to uh, put fright into the uh, persons who are involved and make them be quelled. Well, this is what these police did. But when they pulled up with their guns blazing, instead of those guns blazing in the air, those guns were blazing at Negroes. And what, the, and what Parker is trying to do now is make the Negroes in the community think that we're not Negroes, that we're something different, and that uh, all of them should be against us. And once he gets us out of the way, what they don't realize is they'll start on him. Why do you want to do that, Sir? Why do you think you start to do that? Well, the, 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 any type of unity that's displayed by Negroes today automatically is a threat to the power structure or the status quo. And today, for the first time, Negroes are beginning to show more unity in America than they've ever showed in, in, in the history that we've been here. Uh, our differences are, are, are set in the background. And this is dangerous. This is considered dangerous by some elements. Everybody else can be in together. Ambulances were, ambulances were rushing to the mosque. So uh, one officer said, what's, he, what's they rushing for? Just a nigger, just another nigger shot. And when he got to the precinct, he turned to the brother and says, uh, uh, 
I hope you don't mind what, don't take offense at what I said back there under the heat of emotion because some of my best friends are colored. <laughs> you mind saying, uh, This brother here whose head was beaten, they told him, one officer said to the other, uh, uh, I broke my nightstick over the nigger's head. So the other officer said to him, well, you should have had one of the new kind and it wouldn't have broken. When the brother who was shot through the, uh, uh, up above the heart and through the penis was laying on the floor, was laying in, in, the, in the station, the officer was telling him, nigger, get up and run so I can kill you. These things happen. Well, I think, sir, that when you read reports of the type of information that Parker has been feeding to the press and the press has been feeding to the public and in turn also to the police officers, it has created as the California Eagle, uh, painted, uh, you can get the answer in the California Eagle this week. Beautifully, they described how Parker has been uh, uh, filling his own men with fear and hatred of the black community and especially of the Muslims. Well, the man, see, when you give a man as much power as Los Angeles has given him, and you don't have any around, anyone around here who seems nervous enough to challenge him, naturally he does the same thing that Hitler did in Germany. He begins to think that he is God, and any act that he commits is a godly act, no matter how atrocious it is. I doubt that any other police chief in any other city would dare to uh, come along behind his men, behind the type of crime that his, his men committed in this Negro community, and try and sell it to the white public. What about the men, the other people, who entered into the argument when the police were making the arrest of the original chief? You can go in there actually and get him into the fight. In order to uh, clarify that, you'd have to have a knowledge of what was taking place down there. And I was born in America, Where? in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Malcolm. Why do you well, uh, easy, I can explain it. it I, well, just a moment. When you ask me about uh, uh, my name, if a, if, a, if a Chinese were to come in here and say his name was Patrick Murphy, you'd know that somewhere along the line he got in trouble or fell by the wayside. So that's not a Chinese name. No. If a Chinese... If a Chinese person has no business with an Irishman's name, if a yellow man has, it looks absurd wearing a white man's name, it's even more absurd for a black man to have a white man's name. If the Negroes, and you ask for an explanation, you could take my explanation. If you want it, if you want it, take it the way I give it to you, or you don't want it. The Negroes in this country who have uh, English names, those names represent the last slave master who owned their grandparents. It is not their name. It is the slave master's name. So when we become Muslims, sir, and we turn back toward our own culture, we reject, we, we cut aside completely those things that stigmatize us in this country. That also represents the unknown, and I think you will agree that the history of the black man, before he was brought to this country, you'll find that he came from Africa, which had a Muslim culture and Muslim civilization, a great part of it. And uh, the Mali Empire stretched from the Nile River over to the shores of West Africa. That was a Muslim empire. The Moorish Empire was Muslim. The, uh, uh, the, the, the empires that existed in, in northern Nigeria were Muslim. Kano, one of the oldest cities in Africa, was a Muslim city 500 years before Columbus discovered America. So now when you ask me how, wait a minute. When you ask, well, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, 
who is teaching the black people in this country that the only way that we can solve the race problem is not by forcing ourselves upon the white man, but by doing something for ourselves teaches us also that we'll never have the incentive or the desire to do anything for ourselves until we first learn something about ourselves, about our past. NAACP is against any type, any type of brutality, and uh, which we are too. The NAACP is for integration. We're for uh, separation, and uh, we, we agree on the objective, but we disagree on the method. Actually, what both of us want is human dignity for the black people in this country. And the NAACP thinks that integration is the road that will bring about a solution to the problem that the black man is confronted with. Uh, I, I'm uh, Minister Malcolm X of Mohammed's Mosque Number 7 in New York City and the national representative of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, who is our spiritual uh, leader and teacher. And Friday night, April the 27th, at approximately 11.15 o'clock in what has since come to be seen as a tragic comedy of errors, police errors, Seven innocent, unarmed black men were shot down in cold blood by Police Chief William H. Parker's Los Angeles City Police. One of these seven innocent, unarmed black men is now dead. He was murdered in cold blood by police bullets. Another is paralyzed. Five others are hospitalized from bullet wounds and are also in serious condition. These were seven innocent men seven innocent black victims of police bullets. This did not happen in Hitler's Nazi Germany. This happened to innocent black men in Los Angeles, California. How could this brutal crime against innocent, unarmed human beings occur in America with no public outcry by the well-thinking Americans? It is because Police Chief William H. Parker has misused the American press, the radio, television, newspapers, and the wire services to spread false propaganda in order to camouflage the true facts in one of the most savage, ferocious, inhuman, and atrocities ever inflicted upon unarmed, innocent human beings in a so-called democratic and civilized society. This Gestapo-type atrocity and the effort to cover up the atrocity with the sanction and the support of the American press is in itself a crime against any society that professes to be civilized, religious, and God-fearing, and makes America look like a savage, uncivilized police state in the eyes of our brothers and sisters in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And simply because Chief William H. Parker's well-armed stormtroopers wore police uniforms while shooting down these seven innocent black men in cold blood doesn't make the criminal actions of the policemen any more right than the uniforms worn by Hitler and his uniformed Gestapo police who shot down the innocent Jews in Nazi Germany. Despite Police Chief William H. Parker's efforts to justify this brutal act of cold-blooded murder by his police department, and the seeming willingness of the white press to help him suppress the fact, the truth must leak out. And the good-thinking Americans who learn the truth about this case and fail to protest vigorously this type of police state murder should never again speak out against Hitler, Nazi Germany, 
and the Gestapo police brutality practice against the innocent Jews in Nazi Germany. Of the National Association uh, of the Advancement of Colored People, written to Ed Edward Warren, president of the local NAACP, what he says, and I quote, national, the national office supports fully the protest which the Los Angeles branch has lodged in the brutal police killing of Ronald Stokes. Police brutality against any segment of the population demands vigorous action by all elements in the city. There is an incredible report circulating here that some sections of the Los Angeles Negro community are remaining silent because Stokes was a leader in the Muslim movement. We urge our Los Angeles branch to press and press in all possible ways to bring the guilty police to account and to rally the other groups to do likewise. Never in its history has the NAACP withheld condemnation of an action against police brutality because of race or religion, and it will not do so now. That's a statement made from our good friend, Roy uh, Wilkins. Have what? There is no record of of the of a so-called Negro policemen ever making an attack on the Ku Klux Klan, the White Citizens Council, or any group. They are, the policemen who police's dance hall came by and fired some shots, and these shots caused an alarm to be sent out over the police network. And instead of, the, instead of the police coming to the scene of the crime, scene of the so-called incident, of the incident, which was a block away from our religious uh, place of worship, they came straight to the mosque. And when they drove up there, they drove up there shooting, with their, as, the, as the local press has already pointed out, with their guns blazing. The local press called it a, a blazing gun battle. Muslims don't carry guns. And what you described as a, as a blazing gun battle was the blazing guns of policemen against unarmed black men. Down in cold blood by the officer. He was unarmed. And uh, six other men were shot down in the same manner. They were unarmed. And every police department in America, including the FBI, no matter what criticisms they have of the Muslims who follow Mr. Muhammad, they admit that we do not carry arms. We aren't even allowed to carry as much as a penknife or a fingernail file. But it was... So after these men were... Uh, uh, when the police finally subdued them, and as they shot them down, they handcuffed them. When Ronald was uh, shot, the police weren't satisfied. They beat him. While he, was, while he was laying on the ground with a bullet through his heart, they put a hole in his head with their club. The hole right there, how close they were when they let him, how close they were up on him when they let him have it. And after he had, in, in the autopsy, that was performed, was performed without in, in the uh, knowledge of his family, of his relatives. They just cut him open to get the bullet because he's just another Negro. 
And after, after he was shot down, it shows how they knocked a hole in his head with their club and then had the audacity to, to maneuver the white press into saying that some policemen were injured, but they never pointed out the injuries that they had afflicted, inflicted. There are, uh, one other Negro was shot through the chest, shot a quarter of an inch above his heart. The bullet passed through his uh, hole in Ronald Stokes' head. This is, the, this is the man that was murdered. Now, why would he have to have his head knocked in besides a bullet through his heart? I took, uh, these pictures were taken. Not, these weren't taken by me, but they were taken. And it's... I'm giving you the result of my investigation. No, no. Uh, first, let me answer this. This man here was shot, who was shot through the heart, or rather shot a quarter of an inch above the heart, and it came out uh, through his back. He was also shot in the penis. It went through his stomach. He spent 48 hours in police custody without hospitalization. When finally he made bail 48 hours later, along with two other brothers who had been shot, we picked them up at police headquarters standing in the corridor where they had not received any medical attention. If a criminal who has just robbed the bank and murdered someone isn't treated like that. Now, the next, may I ask this question? Uh, what about the report that we as a press have received from the police that after this altercation began at the corner of 57th and South Broadway, where the two suspects were being questioned, and uh, the fight did begin, uh, a group uh, of Muslims from the mosque came out and said, we must help our brothers, and there is when the fight really began. Now, our reports are to the effect that these men weren't necessarily unarmed. There was a five-gallon jug. Of, uh, I saw the jug myself, by the way, upon reportedly, uh, which uh, the head of the policeman had been struck by one of the Muslims. And there was also a report that one of the Muslim procedure knows, and this is why it's so hard to sell this story to the Negro public. They have visited our meetings. While you can't even enter the door with a fingernail file, we are more anti-weapon than any group in the country. And you can end the police. If the, if, do you mean to tell me that a man walked out of our mosque with a shotgun or a rifle, as the press said, and the police don't? Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, excerpt from a press conference uh, delivered by Malcolm X in 1962 in Los Angeles in the aftermath of the police killing of uh, Ronald Stokes, the secretary of the Los Angeles mosque in 1962. Uh, Final entry uh, for tonight uh, will be another address delivered uh, by Malcolm X in December of 1964 um, to a visiting delegation of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee to New York. Uh, let's listen in. The freedom singers were singing the song Oginga Odinga because Oginga Odinga is one of the foremost freedom fighters on the African continent. At the time he visited in Atlanta, Georgia, I think, it, I think he was then the Minister of Home Affairs in Nairobi, in uh, Kenya. But since 
Kenya became a republic uh, last week, and Jomo Kenyatta uh, ceased being the prime minister and became president, the same person that you are thinking about, Oginga Odinga, is now Kenyatta's vice president. He's the number two man in the Kenya government. And the fact that you would be singing about him, to me, is quite significant. Two or three years ago, this wouldn't have been done. Two or three years ago, most of our people would choose to sing about someone who was, you know, passive and meek and humble and forgiving. But Oginga Odinga is humble and forgiving. But Oginga Odinga is not passive. He's not meek. He's not humble. He's not nonviolent. But he's free. Oginga Odinga, the vice president under Jomo Kenyatta, and Jomo Kenyatta was considered to be the organizer of the Mau Mau. And I think you mentioned the Mau Mau in that song. And if you analyze closely those words, I think you'll have the key to how to straighten the situation out in Mississippi. Yes, sir. The Mau when the, when the nations of Africa are truly independent, and they will be truly independent because they're going about it in the right way, they will give the, the historians, will give the Prime Minister, or rather President Kenyatta and the Mau Mau their rightful role in African history. They'll go down as the greatest African patriots and freedom fighters that that continent ever knew, and they will be given credit for bringing about the independence of many of the existing independent states on that continent right now. There was a time when their image was negative, but today they're looked upon with respect, and their uh, chief is the president, and their next chief is the vice president. And I have to take time to mention that because, in my opinion, not only in Mississippi and Alabama, but even right here in New York City, you and I can best learn how to get real freedom by studying how Kenyatta brought it to his people in Kenya and how Odinga helped him and the excellent job that was done by the, by the Mau Mau freedom fighters. In fact, that's what we need in Mississippi. In Mississippi, we need a Mau Mau. In Alabama, we need a Mau Mau. In Georgia, we need a Mau Mau. Right here in Harlem and New York City, we need a Mau Mau. <laughs> and I say it with no anger, but I say it with very careful forethought. The language that you and I have been speaking to this man with in the past hasn't reached him. And you can never really... Uh, get your point across to a person until you learn how to communicate with him. If he speaks French, you can't speak German. You have to know what language he speaks and then speak to him in that language. And when I listen to Mrs. Hamer, a black woman, could be my mother, my sister, my daughter, describe what they had done to her in Mississippi, I ask myself, how in the world can we ever expect, it, ever expect 
to be respected as men, when we know that we will allow something like that to be done to our women and we do nothing about it. How can you and I be looked upon as men with black women being beaten and nothing being done about it? Black children and black babies being beaten and nothing being, uh, being done about it? No, we don't deserve to be recognized and respected as men as long as our women can be brutalized in the manner as that this woman described and nothing be done about it but we sit around singing, we shall overcome. We need them now, now. If they don't want to deal with the freedom, with the Mrs. with the Freedom Democratic Party, then we'll give them something else to deal with. If they don't want to deal with the Student Nonviolent Committee, then we have to give them an alternative. But never stick someone out there without an alternative. We waste our time. Give them this or give them that. Give them the choice between this or that. When I was in Africa, I noticed some of the Africans got their freedom faster than others. And some areas of the African continent became independent faster than other areas. And I noticed that in the areas where independence had been gotten, someone got angry. And in the areas where independence had not been achieved yet, no one was angry. They were sad, they'd sit around and talk about their plight, but they weren't mad. And usually when people are sad, they don't do anything, they just cry over their condition. But when they get angry, they bring about a change. When they get angry, they don't, they aren't interested in logic, they aren't interested in odds, they aren't interested in consequences. When they get angry, they realize that the condition that they're in, that their suffering is unjust, immoral, illegal, and that anything that they do to correct it or eliminate it, they're justified. And when you and I develop that type of anger and speak in that voice, then we'll get some kind of respect and recognition and some changes from these people who have been promising us falsely already for far too long. So you'll have to speak their language. The language that they were speaking to Mrs. Hamer was the language of brutality. Beasts they were beating her. The two Negroes, they weren't at fault. They were just puppets. You don't blame the puppet, you blame the puppeteer. They were just carrying out someone else's orders. They were in someone else, under someone else's jurisdiction. They weren't at fault. In a way they were, but I still won't blame them. I put the blame on that man who gave the order. And when you and I begin to look at him and see the language he speaks, the language of a brute, the language of someone who has no sense of morality, who absolutely ignores law, you and I then learn how to speak his language and we can communicate. But we will never communicate talking one language and he's talking another language. He's talking the language of violence and you and I running around with this little chicken Taking type of language and think that he's going to understand. 
Let's learn his language. If his language is with a shotgun, get a shotgun. His language, yes, I said. If he only understands the language of a rifle, get a rifle. If he only understands the language of a rope, get a rope. But don't waste time talking the wrong language to a man if you want to really communicate with him. Speak his language. And there's nothing wrong with that. If something was wrong with that language, the federal government would have stopped the cracker from speaking it to you and me. I might say, secondly, some people wonder, well, what has Harlem got to do? What does Mississippi have to do with Harlem? It isn't actually Mississippi. It's America. America is Mississippi. There's no such thing as a Mason-Dixon line. It's America. There's no such thing as the South. It's America. If one room in your house is dirty, you got a dirty house. If the closet is dirty, you got a dirty house. Don't say that that room is dirty, but the rest of my house is clean. You're over the whole house. You have authority over the whole house. The entire house is under your jurisdiction. And the mistake that you and I make is letting these northern crackers shift the weight to the southern crackers. The senator from Mississippi, one senator from Mississippi, is over the House Judiciary Committee. He's in Washington, D.C., as Mrs. Hamer has pointed out, illegally. Every senator from a state where our people are deprived of the right to vote, they're in Washington, D.C., illegally. This country is a country whose governmental system is run by committees. House committees and Senate committees. The, the committee chairman occupies that position by dint of his seniority. Eastland is over the Judiciary Committee because he has more seniority than any other senator after the same post or on that committee. He's the chairman. Fulbright, another cracker from Arkansas, is over the Foreign Relations Committee. Ellender of Louisiana is over the Agriculture and Forestry Committee. Russell of Georgia is over the Armed, Force, or Armed Services Committee. And it goes right on down the line. Out of 16 committees, 10 of them are in the hands of Southern races. Out of 20 congressional committees, 13 are in the hands, or at least before the recent elections, in the hands of Southern races. Out of 36 committees that govern the foreign and domestic direction of this country, 23 are in the hands of Southern races. And the reason they're in the hands of Southern races is because the areas from which they come, the black man is deprived of his right to vote. If we had the ballot in that area, those races would not be in Washington, D.C. There'd be some black faces there. There'd be some brown and some yellow and some red faces there. There'd be some faces other than those cracker faces that are there right now. So what happens in Mississippi in the South has a direct bearing on what happens to you and me here in Harlem. And likewise, out of the, the Democratic Party, which black people supported, recently, I think something, something like 97%, all of these crackers, and that's what they are, crackers, are, they belong to the Democratic Party. That's the party they belong to. Same one you belong to. 
Same one you support. Same one you say is going to get you this and get you that. Why, the base of the Democratic Party is in the South. It's the foundation of its authority is in the South. The head of the Democratic Party is sitting in the White House. He could have gotten Mrs. Hamer in Atlantic City. He could have opened up his mouth and had her seated. Hubert Humphrey could have opened his mouth and had her seated. Wagner, the mayor right here, could have opened up his mouth and used his weight and had her seated. Don't be talking about some crackers down in Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia. All of them are playing the same game. Lyndon B. Johnson is the head of the cracker party. stepping on toes or saying things that you didn't think I was going to say. But don't ever, ever, ever call me up here to talk about Mississippi. It's, it's controlled right up here from the north. Mississippi is controlled from the north. Alabama is controlled from the north. These northern crackers are in cahoots with the southern crackers. Only these northern crackers smile in your face and show you their teeth. And they stick the knife in your back when you turn around. You at least know what that man down there is doing, and you know how to deal with him. So all I say is this. This is all I say. That when you start talking about one, talk about the other. When you start worrying about the part or the piece, worry about the whole. And if this piece is no good, the entire pie is no good, because it all comes out of the same plate, and it's made up out of the same ingredients. Wagner is a Democrat. He belongs to the same party as Eastman. Johnson is a Democrat. He belongs to the same party as Eastman. Now, Wagner was in Atlantic City. Ray Jones was in Atlantic City. Lyndon B. Johnson was in Atlantic City. Hubert Humphrey was in Atlantic City. The crackers that you voted for were in Atlantic City. What did they do for you when you wanted to sit down? They were quiet. They were silent. They said, don't rock the boat. You might get Goldwater elected. <laughs> so I just have one bit of, of a suggestion to offer before I sit down. And excuse me for raising my voice, but I feel like raising it. The, I have this bit of suggestion. Find out what Wagner is going to do in behalf of this resolution that you're trying to get through before January the 4th. Find out in advance where does he stand on these, on these Mississippi congressmen who are illegally coming up from the South to represent Democrats. Find out where the mayor of this city stands and make him come on record without dilly-dallying and without compromise. Find out where his friends stand on seating the Mississippians who are coming forth illegally. Find out where Ray Jones, who is one of the most powerful black Democrats in this city. Find out where he stands before January the 4th. You can't talk about Rockefeller because he's a Republican, although he's in the same boat right along with the rest of us. So I say in my conclusion, as Mrs. Hamer pointed out, that the brothers and the sisters in Mississippi are being beaten and killed for no reason other than they want to be treated as first-class citizens. There's only one way to be a first-class citizen. 
There's only one way to be independent. There's only one way to be free. It's not something that someone gives to you. It's something that you take. Nobody can give you independence. Nobody can give you freedom. Nobody can give you equality or justice or anything. If you're a man, you take it. If you can't take it, you don't deserve it. Nobody can give it to you. So if you and I want freedom, if we want independence, if we want respect, if we want recognition, we obey the law. We be peaceful. But at the same time, at any moment that you and I are involved in any kind of action that is legal, that is in accord with our civil rights, in accord with the courts of this land, in accord with the Constitution, when all of these things are on our side, and we still can't get it, it's because we aren't on our own side. We yet don't realize the real price necessary to pay to see that these things are enforced where we're concerned. And until we realize this, they won't be enforced where we're concerned. We have to let the people in Mississippi, as well as Mississippi, New York, and elsewhere know that freedom comes to us either by ballot or by bullets. That's the only way freedom is gotten. Freedom is gotten by ballots or bullets. These are the only two avenues, the only two roads, the only two methods, the only two means, either ballots or bullets. And when you know that, yes, when you know it, when you know it, then you are careful how you use the word freedom. As long as we're going to sing up on, as long as you think we're going to sing up on some, you come in and sing. I watch it. Those of you who are singing, are you also willing to do some swinging with some of these? No, this is true. They've always said that I'm anti-white. I'm for anybody who's for freedom. I'm for anybody who's for justice. I'm for anybody who's for equality. I'm not for anybody who tells me to sit around and wait for mine. I'm not for anybody who tells me to turn the other cheek when a cracker is busting up my jaws. I'm not for anybody. I'm not for anybody who tells black people to be nonviolent while nobody is telling white people to be nonviolent. So I, I just say in my conclusion, I know I'm in the church and I probably shouldn't be talking like this, but I, 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 but Jesus himself, he was ready to turn the synagogue inside out and upside down when things weren't going right. In fact, in the book of Revelation, they got Jesus sitting on a sword with a, sitting on a horse with a sword in his hand, getting ready to go into action. But they don't tell you or me about that Jesus. They only tell you and me about that peaceful Jesus. They never let you get down to the end of the book. They keep you up there where everything is, you know, non-bound. No, go read the whole book. And when you get in Revelation, you find that even Jesus' patience ran out. And when his patience ran out, he got the whole situation straightened out. He picked up the sword. So, 
I believe that there are some white people who might be sincere. But I think they should prove it. And if you can't prove it to me by singing with me. You can't prove it to me by being nonviolent. No. You can prove it by recognizing the law of justice. And the law of justice is, as you sow, so much you reap. The, the law of justice is, he who kills by the sword shall be killed by the sword. This is justice. Now, if you are, if you are with us, all I say is, make the same kind of contribution with us in our struggle for freedom that all white people have always made when they were struggling for their own freedom. And your freedom was, uh, you were struggling for your freedom in the, in the uh, Revolutionary War. When your own Patrick Henry said, liberty or death, and George Washington got the cannons out, and all the rest of them that you taught me to worship as my heroes, they were fighters, they were warriors. But now when the time comes for our freedom, you want to reach back in the bag and grab somebody who's nonviolent and peaceful and forgiving and long-suffering, I don't go for that. No. I say that a black man's freedom is as valuable as a white man's freedom. And I say that a black man has the right to do whatever is necessary to get his freedom that other human beings have done to get their freedom. Just a moment. And I say that you and I will never get our freedom. Nonviolently and patiently and lovingly. We will never get it until we let the world know that as other human beings have laid down their lives for freedom, and also taking life for freedom, that you and I are ready and willing and equipped and qualified to do the same thing. It's a, it's a shame that Mrs. Hamer came out here this afternoon where there are so few people. It's a shame. All of our people in Harlem should have heard her describe what they did to her down there. Because I think the people in Harlem are more capable of evening the score than people are anywhere else in this country. People in Harlem, yes they are, and they need to hear her story. They need to know more about firsthand what's happening down there, especially to our women. And then they need some lessons, some lessons in tactics and strategy on how to get even. And I, for one, will make the first contribution to any fund that's raised for the purpose of evening the score. I, for one, will make the first contribution. Whenever someone commits murder, what do you do? You put a reward, wanted, dead or alive, for the murderer. Yes, learn how to do it. Here we've had three people murdered. No reward has been put on the head of the murderer, and don't put it on just a reward, dead or alive, dead or alive. And let that plan know that we can do it tit for tat, tit for tat. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. If you all don't want to do it, we'll do it. We'll do it. We have brothers who are equipped and who are qualified and who are willing. So, so, so as, as Jesus said, little children, go thee where I send thee. 
We have brothers who can do that and who will do that and who are ready to do that. And I say that if the government of the United States cannot bring to justice people who murder Negroes or people who murder those who are in the, at the forefront fighting in behalf of Negroes, then it's time for you and me to retire quietly to our closet and devise means and methods of seeing that justice is executed against murderers where justice has not been forthcoming in the past. I say in my conclusion that if you and I here in Harlem, who also who form the habit of time of fighting each other, who sneak around trying to wait for an opportunity to throw some acid or some lies on each other, or sprinkle dust with each other's doorstep. If you and I it were really and truly for the freedom of our people, all of the energy that we waste thinking of how to do harm for each other, since you have that engine you know how to do it, let me know. I'll give you some money and show you where to go and, and show you who to do it to. And then you will go down in history as having done an honorable... Malcolm X. And that will conclude our program for today. We'll conclude with John Coltrane Ascension from 1965. This is Abayome Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week. Mm-hmm.